and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches make a better business and a better world. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting to those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. We'll find out how circular principles can create value, increase resilience and reduce risk to make a competitive, sustainable organisation. You'll find the show notes and links at www.circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to updates and useful resources. It's episode 22, and I'm recording this on the 28th of February. In the last episode, we heard about Close the Loop, a business helping manufacturers close their circularity gaps. And my latest blog examines the downsides of leaving that gap open so other companies can exploit it to create value. In today's episode, I'm talking to entrepreneur and designer Bassam Hunaidi about his Argali project. Bassam is a circular economy designer and strategist who helps businesses prepare for the future by designing products, services and strategies that are both economically viable and avoid harming the environment. Bassam is a graduate of the Royal College of Art and Imperial College London. During his career, Bassam's worked at IBM and has designed services for Virgin, Google and Barclays. Bassam is also the co-founder of Gutface, aiming to revive food fermentation for the modern lifestyle. Like me, you may not have heard of an Argali before, though you might have heard of a hooker. That's H-O-O-K-A-H. Argali is the word used for a hooker in several countries in the Middle East. It's a single or multi-stemmed instrument for vaporising and smoking tobacco or flavoured cannabis and so on. Charcoals used to create the heat and the vapour or smoke is passed through a water basin before inhalation. Sometimes they're used at home and often at cafes as a shared experience with friends and neighbours. Bassam worked out that around 11.5 million single-use plastic hoses are used every year in Jordan alone. Extrapolated to the population of the Arab world, that's 440 million hoses every year. We'll hear how Bassam plans to disrupt one of the biggest traditions in the Arab world with a zero-waste alternative that's better for the environment, cheaper for suppliers and better for public health, while providing the same experience for the user. The Argali Project, or TAP for short, is a subscription-based service that Argali cafes sign up to. In return, Bassam's team take the cafe's current stock of Argalis and melt them down into TAP or TAP vapes. These vapes are designed on cradle-to-cradle principles so they're easy to maintain, easy to upgrade and in the case where neither is possible, infinitely recyclable. Let's talk to Bassam Hunaidi. So Bassam, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. Hi Catherine, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And where are you calling in from today? Um, I'm calling from uh, Amman in uh, Jordan. So um, I'm curious about your background because you've done quite a lot of things before 
doing this startup. So before we talk about the Argali project, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your background. Um, sure. Uh, so I started out as um, a mechanical engineer uh, in Australia. And um, I worked in um, a bunch of fields. I think one of the most ironic was working on a very big oil and gas project uh, in Australia. And then uh, you know, I decided I wanted to do things which are more environmentally conscious. Um, and I particularly was very, very interested in design because um, as engineers, I think we always focus on the solution and not particularly the problem. And um, having known a lot of designers and worked in an internship at a product design firm, I realized that design really focuses on people um, and specifically what people's needs are. So uh, I went to pursue a design at the Royal College of Art in London, which was a very, very uh, life-changing experience. Um, and yeah, from there, I just realized that I'm very, very passionate about um, envi environmental problems, uh, specifically the circular economy as well. And um, I've just been working on several projects related to that and food sustainability. And food sustainability, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. there's some, I noticed some stuff about that on your website. So you've worked for a number of um, big companies and now you're doing a startup uh, with a few projects, one of which is the Argali project. So mm. maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, um, so Argali, I can maybe talk a bit about Argali itself. Uh, Ergile is a very, very old uh, product which uh, is used very uh, frequently in the Middle East. It's very similar to how you would have a pub or a bar um, in, in Europe. Uh, people here, because of you know, Islam, alcohol is seen as, as a sin. Uh, most people turn towards smoking to socialize. So they go to a cafe, and in this cafe, you get served this Argela apparatus, which is essentially a water pipe uh, with tobacco on the top and uh, uses charcoal as fuel. And uh, yeah, so people would sit around the table, they'd play cards, they'd drink tea or juice um, and socialize around this Argela. Sometimes people would have one for themselves, sometimes people would, would share. And there's so many of them around uh, the Arab world. Right, I didn't realize it was a. It could be a sharing thing as well. Is that is that something that's um, stayed uh, common over time, or you know, is it something that there used to always be a shared one, and now some some people still do, and other people choose to have their own? Has that changed at all? No, I think it's always been. Um, I mean, both have existed together um, because. I mean, I know a lot of people who will just have one on their own, but there's other people who do it, I think, more socially um, and not very frequently. They would usually share. Uh, yeah, especially because um, there's a lot of studies that have been done about Argile, and it's, um, there's, a, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that it, one whole Argile is like smoking an entire packet of cigarettes, the same effect. So, <laughs> yeah, wow, okay. so a lot of people do uh, prefer to share. Mm. Wow, that's that's a lot of tobacco. Yeah. So what first got you interested in trying to come up with a circular economy solution to Argali? 
uh, it started out actually me and my brother-in-law, we were in one of these cafes one day and he posed a question to me, um, which was how many, so there used to be these hoses that they would use, which weren't made of plastic. They were made of, um, I mean, they had some plastic in them, but they were made of a kind of canvas and wood that people would smoke. But then um, this, these new regulations came out around the Arab world that it wasn't safe to use them because of uh, potential tuberculosis contamination and other diseases. So they moved towards single use plastic hoses. And he posed a question, which was how many do you think are used every day um, in Jordan? And that question really consumed me because um, you know, and this was at the peak of the whole the plastic problem, which I think we're still kind of at, at that peak. And um, I had just gotten a National Geographic uh, copy, which was about plastic waste. And um, I started to calculate, I guess. And um, I looked at how many Ergile uh, cafes there are in Jordan alone. And then uh, I went to a local one and I asked them to give me all the pipes that they use uh, within a month. So they just collected them for me. And every week I'd go and I'd take uh, a bag. So in one month, and this is a relatively quiet cafe. So um, there's some which are far, far busier than the one that I was asking for. Um, so I collected about 1,300 pipes from this place in only one month. And that's quite a conservative number. And then I expanded it to the number of cafes, uh, which I got um, from government uh, websites. So they have statistics of how many registered cafes there are. Not to mention there are a lot of unregistered cafes and a lot of informal kind of uh, cafes in Jordan. So uh, the number that I got, and this is a conservative number, was about 11 and a half million per year. Wow. Yeah, which is a crazy number. No one's really talking about it. Um, or I don't think anyone's ever studied the, the size of this problem before. And Jordan's population compared to the rest of the Arab world is quite small. Uh, the Arab world's population is close to 400 million. Jordan's is only nine. So if we extrapolate that to the population of the Arab world, we're looking at close to 440 million pipes per year, which is enough to wrap around the earth 16 and a half times. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's, and that's probably still being conservative, given your starting point of registered cafes and, yeah, um, exactly. you know, small, low, low usage cafe. So you'd, you'd come to a number and then, um, you know, what next in terms of your curiosity with the problem? Uh, so at the, the first start point was, OK, let's do a... Um, you know, a plastic alternative, something that uh, was biodegradable that anyone could use. Um, you didn't have to worry about throwing it away. Um, but as I dug deeper into the algae industry, there's two other things which kind of bothered me. And that's the amount of tobacco and the amount of charcoal that are used. Uh, and the charcoal industry, a lot of it comes from Egypt and it's very, very dangerous. It's unregulated. There aren't many health uh, regulations in Egypt concerning charcoal production. Um, and especially within the cafes. I mean, you want to go to these cafes, sometimes you, it's the only way to socialize with friends, but you enter and it's like entering a fog. Um, and it's all secondhand smoke and it's not safe, you know, for, for the general public. Um, so at first I started looking at uh, alternatives to plastic, 
But then as I, as I started to look into it, I felt like nothing would be cheaper than, than these pipes because these pipes are already at around uh, five pence equivalent in UK money. Um, so anything that I would have had to make would have to be cheaper than that. Yeah. Um, so that's when I really got to the circular economy idea of it, and especially subscription-based models. And since vaping is already, it's a technology that exists, um, it kind of made sense to me. Um, but the problem was that vapes are still quite expensive. You know, they would never replace the price of an argile pipe. Uh, so I asked a few cafes uh, to give me their, their monthly costs. And I was able to find out that on average, it costs cafes around 1,300 JDs per month, every month, just to restock their ergile. This isn't including the cost of the ergile pipes themselves, which could range between uh, 10 to 60 JDs each. Right. right. So, that, so, that's, cafe, so, that, so the cost of 1,300 a month, is that just to provide the tobacco and the charcoal? And the tobacco, the charcoal, and the plastic hoses. The, the single-use hoses, yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so at that point, I saw the opportunity. Uh, I mean, if you know you make a vape and it costs about thirty to forty JDs to produce, um, but if it was a subscription-based model and all you had to re uh, refresh every month was the, the juice or the vape, it would uh, be a lot cheaper. Um, so that's when it started to really come together for me. Um, and I calculated that we could bring down their monthly costs from 1,300 per month to 900. And that way we're not just eliminating the plastic uh, single-use pipes, but at the same time, we're also eliminating the tobacco and we're eliminating the charcoal. So, um, so how, do you, how do you eliminate the tobacco then? Uh, because the, the juice itself is uh, glycerin and flavorings, and sometimes there's also ah. nicotine added to it. Ah, right? I, I didn't understand that. So, so yeah. you're transforming what they're smoking as well as the way that they're smoking it. So you, exactly. So, so you're focusing on the need for the social shared experience, but um, vastly improving you know, the, the health as well as the environmental impacts. Yeah, I mean, with the health thing, there's a lot of, there still hasn't been um, very em like empirical evidence whether vaping is actually safer for smokers or not. Um, but it's definitely better for secondhand smokers. Mm. And uh, it doesn't leave that kind of fog um, that you would find in a cafe now, and which is also mixed with carbon monoxide from the burning of the charcoal. Yeah. Uh, so at least for people who want to be around, uh, this cultural phenomena, it's, it's, it's safer for them without them having to be, uh, without them having to smoke, you know, or, or inhale the secondhand smoke. Yeah, and I think people are becoming much more aware of the dangers of air pollution and particulates. And I know there's a lot of research about um, the harmful effects of uh, using, um, you know, biomass cooking stoves, um, things like that in the house where you end up just with those tiny PM 2.5 particulates and all the other effects of smoke. So I guess people are becoming gradually more aware. Um, and if you're yeah. not, if you're not um, smoking yourself, then you're even more aware, aren't you? Of, of um, you know, do I want to go in this cafe that's, that's full of, full of smoke or shall I go in the one next door that's cleaner because everybody's um, 
inhaling this this juice product instead. Yeah, exactly. I think the most interesting thing that I found was, you know, I was like, okay, this is easy. I'll just buy a bunch of vapes. I'll go to a restaurant and I'll tell them, look, here's here's a solution for you. Um, but a lot of consumers weren't interested. I mean, they looked at a vape and for them it was a cigarette replacement, not an argila replacement. So we, I redesigned the argila to be um, larger and to look like a traditional one. So if you see on the website, mm. um, it has a lot of, it, it's very, very um, like traditional in its design. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, when we did it in that way, a lot of smokers started to realize, oh, okay, yeah, this is a replacement for the ergile and not just for cigarettes. And they saw it as a completely different product, which I thought was a very, very fascinating uh, part of the research. Yeah, and I guess that all comes into things about emotional attachment and emotional durability, that even though something might be functional, functionally the same, if it doesn't fit part of the culture and and fit into this, you know, kind of historic and important tradition just because of the way it looks, then it's going to be hard to, to convince people that, you know, this is what they should do. You you, you would be seen as more of a, um, you know, are you a kind of um, innovator or early adopter where, you know, people people tend to like to stay the same, don't they? And, um, you know, not, not turn the world upside down. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely true. Yeah. So were you testing this out? You know, did you have a prototype? Were you just showing people photos? How were you help, you know, helping people understand what the new product was and yeah. how it would work and so on? Um, so at first, um, I, start, I tried to start with the vapes themselves. Um, but then when I found that there wasn't much interest, I redesigned, I did a, like a package um, and then um, I just took apart a part of vape and I put it in that new package, which looked more like a traditional ergile. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when I started to realize that there was a lot more interest, especially the size, because the pipes that you hold are quite large and you want to feel like it's hefty, not like something that's really small and dainty. Mm. Um, and that made quite a big difference. With cafes, I found that they're very slow to accept. Um, and I think mainly because they're very, it's very steeped in tradition, the mm. whole idea of the argile. Mm. And there are some which are like some cafes which are younger or their owners are younger and they're more, um, you, get, you enter and you see that the core is more modern and more contemporary. They were far more likely to be like, okay, I'd definitely like to try a few um, as like a trial run. Uh, whereas the older and more uh, traditional cafes, who have who have specifically been around for quite a while, were very against the idea. They're like, no, people would not want this. And even when I showed them the research, and it was quite true that especially the older generations, um, you know, like people who are around uh, 45 and older, were not keen on on a change in. Mm what they consider to be, you know, a cultural habit. But the younger generations were far more interested, especially uh, people who had just graduated university, they've come back to Jordan um, or live in Jordan. They, a lot of them already vape to replace smoking. 
so for them, they see it as just a natural evolution of the ergire. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. And so how, how did you then progress to persuading the older generation that it was something that, you know, was, was a good... Um, a good transition away from the yeah. traditional one. I think I just realized that there was no point trying to convince. I think we, we just found like our target market, which was, um, you know, younger uh, smokers, especially ones, because a lot of the reason why people vape is because they want to continue to be able to socialize with their friends because smoking is a very, very um, popular pastime in in the Arab world mm -hmm. and a lot of them move to vaping because they understand the health risks associated with traditional cigarettes um, so we figured you know if a lot of people these people are going to cafes but they're picking up ergile anyway mm. um, you know why not turn that into a healthier alternative for them as well mm. yeah I think you're right and finding who you know who your early early adopters are is quite an important step isn't it to work out yeah. you know who's who's most likely to accept this and how do i get to to have conversations with them and um you know find out where where they go and which cafes they're frequenting and so on um yeah. because you can you know you can expand out from there but if you don't find your early adopter tribe then <laughs> Um, you're a bit stuck, aren't you? However good the idea is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm curious to know where you're up to now with the project. Uh, so right now, um, a lot of investors always require there to be a co-founder. And I think, especially for me, I'm far more, I'm very good at like the design and the making of things. Um, so I'm looking for a co-founder who is uh, particularly savvy at the business side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I am right now. And I think um, we need to do, I, th I think there's a very big opportunity to look at launching, not in Jordan, but in a place more like Dubai or uh, Saudi Arabia, because they're far more progressive when it comes to innovation and adopting new technologies than uh, Jordan is. And especially the market there is far, is far larger. Right. And I guess slightly more um international um you know exactly. dubai, dubai particularly is really trying to encourage tourists isn't it who i guess might yeah. be might be more put off by going into a cafe that's um full of smoke and so on i guess those early adopter cafes that are providing the cleaner atmosphere um will be the ones that will attract the, the younger generation and the tourists and feel perhaps slightly more cosmopolitan yeah. Yeah. And I really do believe that once people see how much of a change it, it makes, that mm. more cafes will be willing to adopt. And especially because, you know, you're sitting in a cafe and because, you know, it needs constantly needs charcoal to be put on the top, the traditional algae mm. uh, for it to keep running. You have these guys walking around literally fling, like swinging buckets of burning charcoal. Right. in the middle of this cafe and sometimes um it's it's a it's a health hazard because sometimes you have um you see when you sit down on some of the furniture you always find like burn marks right. because uh some stuff falls sometimes there's definitely been cases where you know two t 
tables are very close to each other and somebody might move their chair, hit someone else's avgeda and a call would fall on someone. Mm. So uh, it's also these small things which, which um, I think we kind of take for, for granted, maybe. Yeah, but it doesn't take very long, does it, for people to, to see a better way of doing it? Um, and that's, a, you know, a, another kind of um, benefit for the cafe owners and so on, isn't it? It's, yeah. you know, less damage to your furniture and less risk of claims from customers who ended up being burnt by a stray yeah. bit of charcoal. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So um, through your journey so far, what, what, what's been your big lesson learned, lessons learned that you'd like to share as a top tip for any, anybody who's thinking about starting a circular economy business or making their business more circular? What's the, the number one tip that you'd yeah. share with them? Um, I think the interesting thing, uh, specifically for the Arab world, is that uh, people don't necessarily care about sustainability. So when I first went up and I was ta- telling them about, oh, look, there's this problem of plastic pipes. We need to, we need to get rid of it. Most people are just like, honestly, I don't care. But once you go to cafes and you show them how, okay, this economically makes more sense to you, that's when I think it starts to make a lot more sense to people. And I think that's why the circular economy is so interested compared to um, most sustainability projects or ideas um, is that it it looks at the economic sense before it looks at sustainability. And for a lot of people, that makes more sense, right? And if we can do something that economically makes sense for my business, at the same time is good for the environment, I'm all down for it. Yes, I agree. I think it's all about um, the business ca- the business case, not just for whoever's funding the the product or service but the business case for the end user as well um, and maybe for wider society so if we think about um, the Argali then it's making a business case for the customers of the cafe some of whom would be using the Argali some of whom would just be sitting there but enjoying the cleaner environment so kind of as well as just the direct costs of the of the equipment if the cafe owner is able to attract more people because, you know, suddenly he's got a nicer, a nicer place to sit and chat, um, then that's a win-win for him. But it's also a win-win for the customers who want to come in and um, enjoy a, a cleaner, healthier atmosphere. Yeah. 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 And I think... Yeah, I th- so I, yeah, sorry. No, no, go on. Because uh, there's one thing we were talking, I think I forgot to mention, which I think is an important part of the project, is that um, the idea is for you know, if somebody, if a cafe wants to sign up to the Algeria project, um, is rather than them disposing of their uh, traditional Algeria pipes, which are made of uh, these valuable metals, usually aluminium, stainless steel, or brass and glass, the idea is that we take them and remanufacture them into these TAP vapes, uh, just to really push the circular economy idea home. Oh, that's yeah, that's a great idea. Um, and that gives them a really good story to tell about how they've contributed to um, reducing waste and pollution and so on as well. Um, yeah. And um, yeah. So is that difficult to do or is it relatively easy to do the remanufacturing? Um, it's difficult in the sense that um, 
there isn't a very strong um, consumer product manufacturing scene within the Arab world. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something that we're also right now, one of our main challenges is to find a partner that we can uh, work with regionally that can manufacture rather than, you know, sending all of these items to China, getting them mm. remanufactured and sent back. Uh, it would make more sense. I think there you can definitely find those people. It's just, you know, not everything is online, unfortunately, mm. in the Middle East. Yeah. And I guess as the circular economy is growing, I think there are more specialists setting up to both recycle difficult materials and make them into other components and so on. Uh, companies, the companies are starting to see that as a real opportunity. Absolutely. Um, I mean, so, the, and theoretically, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, there's a lot of producers and manufacturers that work with recycled materials in the Arab world, except you know, they, a lot of them don't make consumer products. They make um, you know, large uh, sheets of material. So mm. it's, it's kind of just trying to find that one manufacturer who would be able to make uh, molds and small scale items. Yeah, or, or find some industrial products that wouldn't be downcycling so that you're still getting um, plenty of value out of the out of the exactly. product. Yeah. Uh, so I think something else um, that I would, or another tidbit I would give to someone trying to launch a circular economy business is that the circular economy should take the burden of uh, the product end life cycle uh, or the end of life from the consumer to the creator of the product. So um, if you're starting a circular economy business, you you should be thinking about where your product's going to end before you even launch it. Uh, and that should be part of the entire uh, business model and business plan. Uh, otherwise, it just wouldn't make sense to be a circular economy uh, business. Yeah, that's really interesting thought and kind of plays into some of the criticisms of the circular economy because I've been looking at some of the businesses that, you know, if you think about Uber, that's a kind mm. of circular economy model because it's all about getting more intensive use out of the out of the car. Um, but actually, it's not very ethical. And in lots of American cities, they found that it's pricing out the competition of public transport. So it's actually adding to car miles in the city. So I think having having the mindset of what happens to my service, you know, what if it's a physical product, what happens at the end of the life or if it's a, a service um, that you're offering, thinking about where it fits in the system and what what some of the consequences are. You know, if I put this into the market, am I going to take responsibility for getting it back? And if I do, how am I going to deal with it? Is is critical, isn't it? And if I'm if I'm offering this service, um, what other impacts might it have? And am I taking responsibility for all my externalities? Yeah. So I think yeah. you're right, and that you know having that in mind at the beginning of the journey saves you from suffering from um, policies and, and uh, taxes and, and legislation that might come in later, <laughs> later down the road. Yeah, that's exactly true. Yeah. Great stuff. So, Bassam, in the research and so on that you've been doing so far and in the, in the interest that you've had in the circular economy... Do you have a favorite example that you like to tell people when you're explaining the circular economy? And, and maybe that would be somebody we could interview for the podcast in the future. 
Yeah. There's actually one um, that came to mind right away when you mentioned that. Uh, he's a friend of mine who we studied, we studied together. His name is Nirayan uh, Yassin. Mm-hmm. And he, I don't know if you've heard of the company Petit Plea. Yes. Yes, yeah. I have. So, yeah. yeah. So they make clothes for uh, babies, which expand over time so that you're not constantly buying uh, new, new clothes um, for your children between, you know, the ages of three months and, and two years, I believe, or three years. And uh, yeah, I just think it's such a great, great idea. And um an excellent way to look at redesigning things um, in a way that allows them to make more economical sense, but at the same time, you know, it looks beautiful. It it works really, really well. Yes, I used it as an example in the second edition of my book, um, which is due out in the in the summer, and um, I seem to remember it was inspired uh, by a couple of things, including origami, um, yeah. and the kind of folding of that was a starting point for the designs. So yeah, that'd be great. I'll I'll see if I can get your uh, his details from you after the yeah, yeah. after Absolutely. the call. Um, so Bassam, how can people find out more about the Argali project and get in touch with you? Um, so everything's on my website at the moment, um, which is bassamhunedi.com. dot com, mm-hmm. um, and you can also find me on Instagram um, at bazhunedi. Um, yeah, and all the information will be there um, for the time being until, um, you know, we, we move it to a new website. Yeah, so you get launched, finally launched as, a, as a, um, uh, an up and running company. So we'll, exactly. put, we'll put those links in the show notes so that people can, uh, can find them and find out more. And hopefully somebody listening will either want to be um, a co-founder or know somebody who might be interested um, and or have ideas about the repurposing locally instead of having to send it overseas to be repurposed. Yeah, so, yeah I um, hope so too. Yeah, fingers, fingers crossed for that. Okay. So, Bassam, um, thanks very much for sharing your story with us and I wish you the best of luck for the next stage of the project and um, I'm sure with your engineering background and, and curiosity about how to... Um, investigate and solve the problems for um you know for for the the user themselves um then i'm sure you'll go far and come up with lots of other ideas and maybe we'll be back in touch in a couple of years to see how you've got on and see what you're um, inventing next thank you so much Catherine. and it's honestly been an absolute pleasure to be be on your podcast great stuff thanks bassam thank you so much What I like about Bassam's project is the way he's really thought about how to provide multiple benefits for both groups of customers, the cafe owners and the Argali users. For the subscriber, the cafe owner, they get a design that doesn't use charcoal, reducing smoke and the risk of fire or accidents from the charcoal being passed around. The new design uses materials from existing equipment but uses less of each material. They can be repaired, refurbished and eventually recycled and they cost around 30% less. For the user, the new design still looks very traditional. It avoids the health risks of all the secondhand smoke and non-tobacco flavours can be used instead, which appeals to the younger generation. 
you get the important social activity without the health downsides. Have a look at Bassam Hanadi's website to find out more. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. You can get in touch via the website, rethinkglobal.info, or send us a tweet, at rethink underscore global. Please let us know what you think of the podcast, and you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time. Bye.